you will always get what you're ready for. If it's happening, you're ready for it. And if it's not happening, you're not ready for it. And that has been a huge teaching for me too, of like, I really want this thing. And it's like, if I was ready for it, it would be here. And like, I can't handle this thing that's happening. If you couldn't handle it, it wouldn't be happening. And it's like, you will always be exactly where you need to be in that cycle. And by the way, there are simultaneous cycles in different areas of your life happening at the same time too, that you might be in like one, you know, seven year cycle of your relationship and like the cosmological cycle of something else and like this. And it's like everything ebbs and flows and nothing changes. And like, ultimately it's all a mystery. And it's so interesting because the past few years, I've just really been saying the mantra of, I don't know. That has been my mantra of like, I don't know. And I think we have a hard time. I think that's why a lot of us go to spirituality is because we like deeply want to know. Mm -hmm. We're like, let me make it make sense. Mm -hmm. The pattern app says this is going to happen. So that's what's going to happen. And like, according to the healing I've done, it should go like this. And it's like, ultimately it is a mystery. And we can take these tools and we can take these lessons and use them as guidance And we just have to surrender that life is going to life. And there is so much at play that is beyond our scope. And if we look back on our lives, it all makes sense. But it's like trusting that right now, one day will, maybe it's in the afterlife, but nothing is random. Nothing is coincidental. This thing that's going to happen to you next year, five years from now, the seeds of it are actually being planted right now. You just don't see them in this reality. You don't see the little thing that one day you're going to be like, how did I not see that? It's like, oh, it was right there. It was that little sneak you weren't paying attention to. Welcome back to the High Self Podcast. My name is Sahara Rose. And in this podcast, I love to take spiritual concepts and make it really grounded, modern, relatable, and fun so it can actually serve your needs. I have been on a spiritual journey for over a decade, and it continues to deepen in this spiral that we are in. I see life as this, you know, when you're at the mall and you put the coin in that like circular thing and it's like spinning and spinning and spinning. And then it's like getting closer and closer to the hole and it keeps going until infinity. That's how I see the spiritual journey of we look at different things in our lives, our childhood, maybe ancient Egyptian, you know, alchemy, our relationship with our parents, our ancestral lineage, our sexuality. We look at these things and then life happens. We learn other lessons and we come back to them and they deepen and they deepen and they deepen and they deepen and it never ends. So like many of you, I learned about Egypt far long ago when I was in grade school and they taught us about ancient Egypt. And I felt this instant gnosis, this connection. In fact, one of our school projects was to make a song about mummification. And I still remember my full song was a Spice Girl song. It was like, if you want to be a mummy, you got to complete the steps, do it. And I, like, I literally remember the entire, like, first remove the stomach, put it in Seb's jar, then remove the intestines. It goes in Humatav's jar. I know the whole thing because of the Spice Girl song. So that is how deeply encoded it is within me. And so many of us, we feel like we've had past lives in Egypt. We see these symbols like the Eye of Horus or the Ankh or these different Egyptian goddesses like Isis and Hathor and Sekhmet. And we feel this connection with them, but we don't really know much about them. And the way that we're taught about Egypt in school, it's very 
historical. It's very to the surface. And even if you go to Egypt, the majority of the teachers there are like, yeah, and these are the pyramids and it was just like a burial site. And like, that's it, like moving on. And we know that there are deeper mysteries to this. Sometimes you hear about the sacred geometry or the fact that these pyramids were placed under Sirius B and it's like connection to the different sacred sites around the world. Like you hear of these things, but very few of us have actually dove into them. So a lot of my spiritual lineage was Vedic, Indian focused. I, you know, started practicing yoga at a very young age. I lived in India. I studied Ayurveda, became an Ayurvedic practitioner. So it was very Vedic. And it wasn't until the end of 2022 when I, long story short, was going to go to Bali. The day of my flight to Bali, I just got a hit that I was not meant to go there. And I've been going to Bali for like 10 years. And I just... I just had a sense that I wasn't meant to go there, but I, my airline, which is like Arab, the Air Emirates, I had to book another flight that they would go to. So I was like looking at all the places and I'm like, Egypt sounds cool. Coincidence, right? So I end up rerouting my trip to Egypt and I felt this call that I was meant to go to Egypt to heal my relationship with the divine masculine. So I actually invited my dad to come with me because my dad has always loved Egypt. And then my brother was actually in Qatar at the same time. So then he was going to come and we we're going to do this trip. And then my divorce happened. And my dad and my brother did not go. In fact, two of my friends came with me and we did ritual after ceremony, after just complete shedding. And I died, fully died, and came back to life in these lands where death is the spiritual practice. And my soul knew I needed to go back to Egypt to die. And what's crazy is I did a past life regression, quantum hypnosis healing technique like five years ago. And I saw this lifetime of mine that I was in Egypt with my then husband. And we both were really shivering and cold and we had smallpox or something. And I remember the best day of my life being the day that they like moved part of the sphinx like by us in the little nomadic hut we were in. Like I saw a part of it and that was the best day of my life. And then we just died of illness. And it was like, my soul needed to come back and like just die in this lifetime. And I remember, you know, days after realizing I was going to get a divorce and just the pain and the sadness and the heartbreak. And like, you're, you're in a state of shock, you know, when things like this happen. And then I'm at the freaking great pyramids. <laughs> Just like, wow, like life and death and these stories are eternal and so much greater than me. And I'm in the king's tomb, just like bawling and grieving. And it all made sense of like, of course, my soul chose like the most grandiose place to die. Like we need to do it big in the pyramids. Okay. And the way that the initiation that I went on down the Nile, it was literally from like the death of the pyramid to coming back to life with every single temple. It was a co-initiation. I was like standing in these temples and the hieroglyphics were speaking to me and they were telling me their stories. And it was like, I never needed to learn how to read them. I would just look at them and they would tell me the exact stories I needed to hear of how it related to my life. And in 2018, I interviewed this queen here on the podcast, Isis, who you're about to hear. And I knew about Egypt, I was interested, but it hadn't quite solidified in the way that it had now of really being initiated into the, the path of the comedic priestess. So after this initiation in Egypt, I knew I needed to like actually really sit with, with this ancient mystery and learn about it. So 
oh, the craziest part of all of this is ISIS was in Egypt at the same time. And I was going to go on her tour and it didn't work out, which thank God I would have been crying the whole time. But it was like, we were both in Egypt at the same time. And then I was like, I need to like really sit and study with you. So then a group, a small group of us came together to her beautiful temple home in Nevada city. And we sat in ceremony studying the Netaru and these, these stories of the death and rebirth cycle and, and ritual and practice, which we're going to be talking about today. So since then, you know, I got hieroglyphics tattooed down my back and it's such a huge part of who I am. These teachings have rewritten me. And so I'm so excited to, to bring this beautiful queen who's so learned in these ancient ways and embodying them in her daily life here on the podcast. So welcome, Isis. Hmm. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor to be here and just want to acknowledge these ancestral homelands and the ancestral homelands that I came from, the Nisanon uh, homelands of Nevada City. My name is Isis Indria, born in Mesa, Arizona, raised on the island of Guam. So I come on behalf of my ancestors, Chamorro people. And in that too, I, I come on behalf of uh, lineage. I have a tiny bit of Egyptian I found in my travel, in my journeys and in looking into my DNA. And so I also come out on behalf of a student and a, and a voice for the holy lands of Kemet of Egypt. And so with that, I just want to say a, a short prayer here. Yeah, I just want to say thank you once again to these ancestral homelands here and all the ancestral homelands of all of those that watch this podcast and all the four-leggeds, the two-leggeds, the swimming ones, the standing ones, insect beings, the winged ones, all the holy beings of this natural world and all the home places. Greetings to you at this time and also greetings to each and every one of our benevolent, elevated ancestors, our guides, our allies that called us here together in this way. And thank you to the cosmological teachings and the principles of divine ones of the Nateru, the Nateru, all of the cosmic principles coming into form. Thank you. Thank you too to all those that have been carrying these traditions, carrying them forward, the mystery teachings in a good way so they can come forward at this time on behalf, on behalf of assisting this time of great transition. May everything that's shared here together in this podcast be helpful and be practical, be helpful, be beneficial to each and every one of our hearts, our minds, our bodies, and our spirits. And in that way, may it be an offering into the web of life on behalf of the liberation of all beings, human and non-human, tending and healing anything that needs to be tended to at this time to make good offerings in this present moment to create more beauty, infinite beauty for infinite generations into the future. Anknetaru, 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 blessed be, and so it is. Thank you for this. And I'd love to start with the question, what makes you your highest self? My heart, my mind, my spirit, my love, my care, me. You know, every day that I tune in and call upon my highest self, I do every single day. It's so that I can walk in union with what in the Egyptians referred to as our Ka, walk in union with our highest self, our holy guardian angels in physical form. And part of it too is my devotion, you know, really loving being a spirit in a body and, 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 and tuning to how precious that is every day, the preciousness of life. Because you're listening to Highest Self Podcast, I already know you are someone that is committed to your spiritual growth journey. You are someone that dives deep. You are someone that asks 
big, meaningful questions. You're someone that doesn't want to be at the shallow end of the pool, but wants to dive all the way in. And likely you've been feeling that your career really needs to be in alignment with your whole self, that you're sick and tired of having one version of you that's at home and another version of you at your job, but you're really wanting to integrate the two so you can be paid for your gifts. You can be paid to be you. You can be paid for your wisdom and actually be using your time creating a positive shift in humanity. Well, if I'm speaking to your soul right now, I invite you to come join us at the the Dharma Coaching Institute. This is my school that is the world's first and only school that certifies soul purpose and spiritual life coaches. So over our six-month journey together, you're going to learn everything you need to become a coach. I'm talking about how to ask people questions, how to hold space, the exact forms and contracts that you need. And then we're going to be diving into all of the Dharma framework tools. These are tools that I personally have designed that can help you help anyone find their soul's purpose. So I'm talking about the Dharma blueprint, the Dharma chakra system, Dharma journey spiral, so many different tools that are paired with somatics and nervous system healing and heart healing and all of these different tools that you hear about on the podcast actually practiced. And then in our last two months together, we dive into all of the business training. So how do you price your offering? How do you structure it? How do you build a podcast, grow on social media? I share with you all of these things alongside my business partners, Nitha and Ajit, who are masters in their field to co-create this experience that will take you from maybe not fully knowing your soul's purpose to actually having a career as a soul purpose coach, helping other people find theirs. We've graduated over 1,500 students and have hundreds of coaches around the world hosting retreats, creating online programs, working with celebrities and moms and veterans and everything in between. And this really is the forefront of where coaching is heading because the truth is right now people are wanting to shift. They are knowing that living the same day over and over again is not serving them and they are desiring to step into their purpose. And that is where you come in as a purpose coach. So if you're interested, you're curious to learn more, we have plenty of free workshops coming up, different experiences. So you can actually come on a Zoom call with me and feel what it's like to be in Dharma Coaching Institute. So head over to dharmacoachinginstitute.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A coaching institute.com. You can find that link in the show notes, learn everything there and come join us in our spring class, which is open right now. So we only open doors twice a year. So if you're listening to this right now, that means doors are open for enrollment. So head over to dharmacoachinginstitute.com to learn more and sign up to join us in our spring cohort. And I can't wait to see you there. With you 100%. So in this lifetime, we experience a number of deaths. Life is death. And that's something the ancient Egyptians, which we will now refer to as the Kemetic people, because that's the actual name. Egypt, Egypt is a, a British anglicized name for it. So um, well, you're, you're going to hear us say Kemet. You're also going to hear us say the word Netaru, which is the actual name for what we would call the deities, the gods and the goddesses. But I would love, Isis, if you could start with telling us the story of the afterlife and Ma'at from the Kemetic perspective, because I think this is really the foundation of it all. Mm-hmm. Well, first I want to acknowledge the butterflies that you shared that you have now um, imprinted in your body, your skin. And one of the things I love of 
my teacher Mahmoud Koder had shared to me about Egypt and the mummification process is that it's very much connected to the journey of a butterfly. When the body dies and the soul goes on a journey into the afterlife, um, part of the process is the removal of the organs, like in your childhood rhyme, your Spice Girl song, (laughs) the removal of the organs, the cleaning of the heart, putting the heart back in, the removal of the brains, um, and a variety of processes, but they would wrap the body in this linen that was the body of Neith, the body of the sky, the stars. And in that wrapping, they would be, they attuned to it as a cocooning process. And in the cocooning process, everything that would break down in the inside, the, the chrysalis, these imaginal cells would form, and then the soul would become a butterfly and travel into the celestial kingdom. So I love that story. Because, you know, when we attune to Kemet, to Egypt, generally the first two things we think of are mummies and pyramids when we're, ch- when we're children. Those are the, kind of the first two things we see. And uh, that is connected to the journey of the butterfly. The afterlife. You know, I believe that why I am so drawn to study and learn and commit to learning and devoting my time to ancient Egypt and Kemet, Egypt, is because my mom died at a very young age. She died when I was four. And having her transition into the other side led me to want to understand the other side my whole life. And also close people to me passed like a best friend and a lover. Death has been a very much a part of my life. And so I really want to understand what was in the afterlife. I'm always studying it. I'm continuing to study it. But one of the things is they say that when the body dies and the soul goes on a journey into the afterlife, it goes through these gates, these 12 gates. Some refer to them as the 12 hours. Sometimes in Egypt, you see these beautiful um, images and carvings of the sky goddess Newt. She's so beautiful. She's kind of shaped like this. And um, you see her, she'll eat the sun and the sun will go through her body for 12 hours and then she'll birth the sun again. So I always think about that, that when the sun comes out, it's coming out of the birthing canal of Newt And then we experience the sun. And then when the sun sets, it goes back into our body. So I feel like that's related to the journey of the afterlife. The body dies, the soul goes into journey through the gates. And there are 12 gates. And at the gates, there are these guardians that we have to face. And some really, really intense ones. It said that you need to know the names of the guardians in order to pass. You need to know their names. You need to know what to say and how... Some say you need to offer something or you just need to know their secret name to pass. So each gate has a a function and a purpose. And there's this one place that you refer to, which is the uh, moment of the the judgment, the the great weighing. The great weighing of the heart um, on the scale against the feather of Ma'at. Ma'at is an Egyptian Netheru goddess. Oftentimes you see her with wings and she has on her crown a feather, an ostrich feather. Uh, I was one time I was asking one of my teachers, why is it an ostrich feather? And he said, because the breath of Shu, the breath of the wind moves through the ostrich feather. I just love that. And so the feather is weighed against, I mean, the heart is weighed against the feather of Ma'at, which is the feather that represents cosmic law, cosmic truth, cosmic order, and justice. That's what Ma'at represents. And at the Great Weighing, there's also Ampu, also known as Anubis. 
He's a jackal-headed Neturu. Oftentimes they say, you know, if anything in any dimension, lower, the middle, the upper, Ampu is always going to be there for you on Anubis. Kind of like our dog, you know. Our dogs are with us everywhere at every stage, no matter what. Ampu's there as part of the great uh, weighing. There's also Isis, also known as Ost or Aset. Neptis, also known as Nebetet. They're sisters and they represent, they're kind of like the protectors and the guardians of the weighing. And also you see Osiris, also known as Asar, Ozir. Those names, Asar, Ozir, Osiris, there's the Kemetic names and then there's the Greek names. Aset, Ost is the Kemetic, Isis is the Greek. So I just wanted to clarify that. They're also there. And then there's these 42 assessors, the 42 Ma'ati. And when the soul meets this time of the great weighing, their heart is weighed against these 42 negative confessions or later called the 42 ideals. And the older was, did you do this? Or, and you would respond, but the newer versions, I like the 42 ideals. They're referencing specific qualities. Like, did you keep the waters pure? Did you keep your own counsel? Did you embrace the all? Did you walk with integrity and there are 42 ideals, 42 principles to weigh your heart against the feather of Ma'at. I live by those principles. I follow them. You know, the negative confessions are the older versions and the 42 ideals were a newer version that, or I've always, I've been trying to find who are the creators of the newer version. It's said by the eight priestesses of Abydos. Those are the ones that brought forward the 42 ideals. These 42 ideals are principles that the that we can live by in our lives every day. Back in the day, that's what they did. They followed these principles every day so that when the time came for the great weighing, their heart would be lighter than the feather of Ma'at. If the heart wasn't lighter than the feather of Ma'at, there would be the, the, the being Amit. And Amit was this three-animaled being of a crocodile, lion and hippo called the great devourer of the heart. If the heart wasn't lighter than the feather, then Ahmed would eat the heart and the soul would disappear into non-existence, wouldn't even exist anymore and or potentially have to come back for another life. If the heart was lighter than the feather, then they would travel into the realm with Osiris, Ozir, into the afterlife, which was heaven. Not a hell, heaven. Continue forward in the heavenly realms. And they believed too in ancient Kemet in Egypt that there were three rivers. There's the river that's the Nile, the river that's the afterlife, because when the body died, the soul would get on a solar boat, would get on a boat and travel through the afterlife, afterlife river to go through the gates. And then there's the river of the celestial sky. And when, when the body died and the soul went on a journey to go, to, to go through these gates, their journey of transformation became nourishment and food for the waters in this terrestrial realm, in the Nile. So it was also part of living a good life was so that you could be good nourishment and good offering for those that are still living. That's how I like to see it. And that would feed the soil here to support life here. And then when they would do the weighing, they ideally would become similar to the beginning, a butterfly and travel celestial waters back home into the heavenly realms again. They really believed that in order to create heaven on earth, we had to really learn about the heavenly realms and make them and feed them and tend to them. Ritual is a way of life. So there's a little bit about that story.
Oh, the serpents too. You had to face the serpents. There's serpents in all dimensions and there's serpents of all kinds. But in the Dua, you have to face the biggest serpent, which was called the Apep. And that was all of your fears in one large serpent and how you face thyself determined it whether or not you passed. It's kind of like what we experience in this life now every day. You have to go through your biggest fear to have the life that you want on the other Absolutely. side. And that even like the energy of the serpent, it can be like this really scary thing that's like creeping up behind you in the darkness that you didn't see that was like lurking in the corner and then it bit you and you're like, where did that come from? Or it can be this energy that you integrate within yourself that like makes you become alive and just like oozing with sensuality and kundalini and life force. And it's like, even just the, you know, our relationship with the serpent says so much about us. I just got this serpent tattoo as well as, as the butterfly. And, you know, I showed it to my mom. She's like, (gasps) you know, because that's how we're conditioned, Mm -hmm. you know, why did you get that's evil, you know? And it's like, our relationship with the snake says so much about us. Are you going to integrate the darkness within you? Because if you don't, it's just going to keep manifesting in your reality. And get stronger. And get stronger. And Mm -hmm. it's like, it kind of reminds me of like when we would play like video games or something. Like I remember in Mario, it was like, you would face that like big like monkey that you had to like face off with. And then it would be like at the final level when you were going to like beat that level, it was like the biggest one. And it was like, sometimes our reality is like showing us, it's like putting us in that thing of like, are you, are you going to learn from this lesson or not? And the, the cycle repeats until you're like, this is clear. I'm no longer going to play into this karma and play into this game. And then you, you graduate to the next level. And then there's always more initiations, but then that lesson no longer needs to show up in your field. And yeah, for me, when I was like really taking that all in, be, being in the temples and seeing that, it's just like, sometimes we just hold on to like the sense of victimhood within ourselves of like, someone did us wrong and how could this happen to me? And it's like, ultimately, Ma'at, Ma'at is, is, we'll take care of it. Yeah. You don't need to. And I remember I was in Egypt and one of the um, the tour guides there, she was a, a priestess of Sekhmet. And she's like, do you like Sekhmet? I'm like, I love Sekhmet, which we'll talk about Sekhmet. And she's like, but she was very connected to the feminine rage element of Sekhmet. And, you know, I could feel her, like Egyptian women have this ferociousness to them. And she was like ferocious. And she was like really ready to go to battle, like for the feminine. And I'm like, I can either choose to take that path, that version of Sekhmet, but what does my heart really want? Like, who am I? And it's like, I'm, I'm a creative. Like, I always have been Saraswati energy. And I'm here to create music and poetry and dance. And it was then I decided, like, I'm here to take the path of Hathor, of, of Heter. And that of really just like, that is, I can find a lot to be angry about, you know, and I can take, and some people do, and we need all of it, you know, but it's like, what I'm here to do is to bring creativity and music and, and dance and like that frequency. And, you know, and then I ended up getting these hieroglyphics tattooed on me, um, which is the eye of, eye of Horus protection, seeing the unseen, the Ankh marriage of the masculine feminine within myself. And then, and then Hathor. And then since then, the artist frequency has really activated within me. And I told you, I, um, making my first album, both (laughs) like music as well as spoken word poetry. And what I love is it like 
gives you so many different pathways of the feminine. And it's like, and and we are all of them. So I would love to start with, maybe we start with with Isis Osset, because I feel like she is the one that's the most known. You know, many people know this, this winged goddess with the long wings or the Rihanna tattoo. <laughs> she has just the goddess Isis tattooed on her rib cage. Can you tell us a bit the story of Osset and Osiris? Yeah. And uh, before I get into that, one thing I do want to share that um, is was very fundamental from my studies, I think is important, is an offering way of life. When we attune to making our life an offering, we step out of the consciousness of victimhood. Yes. And so I, I feel like that's a really beautiful approach to our life journey. So I just want to share that. And we're like, oh, this experience is happening for me. So I can then transmute it and share the wisdom codes of who I become absolutely. as a result. So it's like, oh, thank you for the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Aset is the comedic name or Ost. And the Greek is Isis. I remember reading this quote from an, in another Egyptian comedic netiru called Renanet. And I remember it said, when you know the name of the being or the deity and you speak its name correctly, the essence of the principle is then liberated. And so by learning the names, the ancient names, the essence and the teaching of the Netaru come through in the name because of the vibration and the sound. So we're still learning how to call upon those vibrations with these names. So Ast, Aset, or Isis, sometimes, you know, we, we see the most of the time we see the image of her with the wings and she has her head on the side with a crown. Sometimes it's Ma'at. Yes. And I think that's also very beautiful. Actually, a friend of mine got a tattoo on her back thinking it was Aset and it turned out to be Ma'at because of the crown. Yes. Can you tell us the difference yeah, of the crowns? Absolutely. So the crown of Ma'at has a feather and the crown of Aset has a throne. And so she's known as the throned one. She's the great mother, the throned one. And that throne is also rep, rep, represents the birthing throne because she's the great mother. Oftentimes you see a lot of really beautiful depictions of her breastfeeding her child, Hiru Horus. There's this beautiful love story of Ast, Aset, Ozir, Osiris. And I'll, I'll be saying both of their names as we go. Long, long story, really shortened and simplified. Um, one story is that Aset and Ozir actually existed as divine humans. Some lineage traditions say they lived here, that they were actually living beings that walked this existence. Some say differently, but we'll, we'll go with that. So one story is that Osiris Ozir was really revered, very popular in, in Kemet. And, um, he really represented fertility and agriculture and growth and prosperity. And his brother Set, who represented the desert and chaos, was jealous. And so he fashioned this uh, carving of a coffin. And he said, okay, he threw this big party and whoever, can fit, whoever fits in the coffin made of jewels and gold uh, gets to have it. And so then Uzir Osiris gets in the coffin, then they lock it up and they throw it down the Nile. Oset is looking everywhere. She's like, where is, where is my love? You know, so is Neptis, her sister. And they're traveling down the Nile trying to find it. And then it gets caught into a tree, the tree of life. And then that tree gets um, broken down and taken to a temple. 
and becomes a pillar in a temple. And she finds out where this pillar is, Aset and Neptis. And so they go down. She becomes a nurse to serve the child of the family. And then eventually they trust her. And then she says, my husband's in this coffin, in this pillar. So they give her the coffin. Set finds out. Rage. And then he, he, he gets, he, he finds the coffin and he cuts up, he finds Osiris and cuts Osiris up into 14 pieces. One tradition says 14 pieces, another says 42. And then we're back to the number 42, like we started with. He gets cut up into all these pieces and then Aset and Nebetet travel all over Kemet, Egypt to go and gather the pieces. Some of the stories refer to those 14 pieces actually being where the temples were resurrected. So each, the, the, one of the journeys of the initiate when you travel to the temples is to gather parts of Ozir, Osiris, of each of those temples to bring everything back into wholeness to then go into initiation in the Great Pyramid. So one temple represented his head, another one his arm, another one his other arm, another one his leg. And so they go all along the Nile and they gather all the pieces together, but they can't find the lingam. They're looking everywhere for the lingam. Lingam, for those of you who don't speak Sanskrit, is <laughs> penis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like the lingam. <laughs> They're not able to find it. Some say that the lingam, the penis, got eaten by a catfish. Some say it disappeared. There was Those a period. Damn catfish. <laughs> there was a period where the Egyptians wouldn't eat catfish at all. Oh <laughs> I mean, the penis in there. <laughs> so they gather all the pieces together and they do the great rite called the black rite. The great ritual of fusing all of the parts of Uzir Osiris together and fashioning a golden rod. Now, what's the golden rod? You know? And they do this alchemical process so that essentially she can make, they can make Heru, Horus, their child, the falcon god. So they do the black rite through the alchemical process of resurrection. Where do we hear this story, the story of resurrection? We hear it with Mary Magdalene and Jesus, Yeshua. There's similarities in that story in ancient Egypt and Kemet. Some even referenced that that story is the same. So they perform the black rite. And she ends up getting pregnant and she births Horus Hedu, the falcon god. And often like the tattoo you got, the eye of Horus, the eye of Hedu, that eye that we see oftentimes is drawn like this. Sometimes the ancient Egyptians would have two, two eyes of Hedu. One represented the eye of Ra. So you're connected to the eye of the sun god Ra which is very much active and young and moving forward and prosperity and, cre- and, and making and creating. And the eye of the moon, which would be the eye of Thoth or Tehuti, which is protection and healing and knowing all the rituals and intuition. And so depending on what eye they would draw, the eye of Heru on would depend on what they were working with. So anyways, Heru is born Horus and Aset, Isis in hiding, um, raises him. And he's raised and trained in the ancient Egyptian mystery teachings, the mystery teachings that have lasted through the ages. Raised and raised and raised to be this great warrior, to then come back and basically kill the one who killed his father, Osiris, Ozir. And he eventually, over a long journey, slays Set. So when this story happens, Aset agrees Isis to stay here on planet Earth. 
and share the build the mystery schools, share the mystery teachings, tend to this plane of existence. And Osiris, Ozir, agrees to go into the afterlife and tend to the realms down in the afterlife for the soul to journey into the through the duat to make it to the afterlife. And they tend to both realms. And some of the great love story is that, you know, this this longing that we feel, you know, the longing to commune with the divine, really. And some of the old initiation journeys, when you would go to Kemet in Egypt, you would start in Abydos, Ozir, Osiris, and you would travel to each of the temples to receive like you experience these codes, these remembrances of ourselves, of, of the self on our journey. And through that, we gather all the parts of ourselves back together again, similar to your journey. And then when to, to, to fuse it all back into wholeness, we then go into the Great Pyramid for that final fusion. And then we do this for ourselves and we do the great work, the divine work of transformation like you did. By nature, it becomes nourishment and food for others. You have your story to share. Your journey itself sends a rippling effect into the collective, far beyond what, anyone, what you could ever see. And so the great work itself of being willing to face our shadows, our demons too, and do the transformational work is also to serve others on their path. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So racing thoughts are not a vibe. Let's be real. When you have that same repeated thought that's looping and looping, and then sometimes you're just like, brain, stop, stop. But it's hard because you feel like if you really worry about that thing enough, you'll find a solution for it. But the thing is that never happens because the more worried you get, the more reasons you find to be worried. And it's just this like never ending loop and cycle. So it's important to talk these things out because underneath it all, it's some sort of belief system. It's a coping mechanism. It's a way to prevent you from feeling what you really need to feel. And this is where therapy comes in. So I love BetterHelp. It's entirely online. They link you up with a therapist that is perfect for you with a really easy questionnaire you can fill out. It's flexible. It's suited to your schedule. So you don't have to like drive anywhere or be stuck in traffic. And you can start working through these things so racing thoughts don't have to be a problem in your life. So you can sign up for BetterHelp and get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Sahara. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Sahara. So let's get those thoughts calmed down. That feminine yearning is so eternal. What I'm recognizing is that is an inherent part of who we are. We will always want more. Whether you are in a relationship, you will want more. Whether you're single, you will want more. And it's like that asset she was like searching for more, for wholeness. But that wholeness is her wholeness with God. Absolutely. You know, and and to see your divine partner as God in human form. And her completing him was like her completing her devotion to the divine and like us healing each other is us making ourselves back into God. Mm -hmm. And I feel the feminine is, I always like to take these concepts and like I really relate them back into like my life and the lives that we see. And like, I see it as, as the feminine, we are healers. And I see a lot of us were like, why do I always have to be the healer in my relationship? And it's like, there's a balance of like, we're not meant to be like the soul healer in our relationships and the feminine is healing. And like, especially right now, I see the masculine 
is hurting. The masculine is very fragmented. Their lingams are very far lost in the catfish, <laughs> you know, like just so, so much of just like confusion mm-hmm. and porn addiction and, you know, the societal pressures and all of these things that like, that's what the feminine we're here to do. We're like here to help restore also the masculine of their divinity, remind them of their divinity, remind them of their kingdom. I feel the feminine we have really risen and remembered in the past few decades. And now it's like, let's shine that light back on the men of like, you also are a Pharaoh. It's time to step into that. And what I also loved and was receiving in these temples, it was always like, the queen and the king side by side. Absolutely. And it was never one ruling over the other side by side. And just the beauty of you can go so much further in that sacred partnership, but also she and he are whole on their own, you know, and it's, it's not a jest, it's, it's an and. And also seeing the, the children as well, like a lot of these depictions had the children that they would birth through in their, and their stories. And, you know, I've, I've questioned in my journey of like, do I want to have kids? Do I not? And at that time, you know, after the divorce, I was like, I don't think I ever want to have kids. And I always see these hieroglyphics. I'm like, oh, it's such a meaning of life. And I know you had that, you know, you, cause you had your son when you were 40. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He came in a vision. I wasn't going to have kids. Mm-hmm. He came in a vision and uh, over my husband and I in a ceremony. And we went to Egypt to make offerings to ask. And it became very clear that we were meant to carry it forward. And that's very much about it too is, you know, I find when we do the healing work, it's so that we take care of something so it doesn't get passed on, yeah. you know, because the way that I see it and the way I've been taught is we're barring the future from the children right now. Every choice that we make right now, everything we do right now sends a rippling effect into their lives, into the world that they are, that's theirs, you know? And I feel like if anything, that's one reason in and of itself to do the transformational work on behalf of the, our descendants, whether you choose to have a child or not. But part of, you know, when I, really when my son's spirit Orion came over us, I was also in Kemen, Egypt, noticing all of the images of the children and the babies. And that is why in a way most of us are here is to pass it forward. So what are we going to pass forward? You know, I'm really, I'm really uh, in great support of ancestral healing work, ancestral medicine work. And this is very much too, uh, very much connected to the, the teachings of Aset and Isis is really doing the healing work on a profound level so that we actually pass forward blessings to our children. So they carry those blessings moving forward because they're the ones that are going to be tending to what we're borrowing from. You know, Aset is considered to be the, the mother, the great mother. So when people tune into her, I like to think that, you know, she's bringing forward the blessings of the great mother, teachings of the great mother and the lineage of the great mother. You know, what is like actually the one being that is accepted by indigenous and, and, and communities all over the world is really Mother Mary, the Holy Mother. And oftentimes in our hardest challenges, when we are like facing the heart darkest moments, calling upon the grace of the Holy Mother can assist us. Oftentimes when, when Aset or Isis comes to bring forward that, that, that pure 
unconditional, all-encompassing frequency of love to just nourish the heart, the mind, the body, and the spirit. This is where when we connect to these natiru, they can help us that way, call upon these principles. And that feeling of longing, the feeling of longing, I feel is connected to the feeling of communion. You know, in the Western world, it's like more stuff, you know, like gather yeah, this and this and this and progress at the cost of all things living. We're, we're moving so fast with this sometimes extractive consciousness that we are, things are dying behind us. But we got to get to this and that and that and more and more and more, you know. And what I love about these teachings is the feeling of longing is connected to the feeling of communion. Communion with the sacred, a sacred way of life, whatever term you use, God, creator. And that's so much about what she, she represents, that communion with a sacred way of life and the preciousness of life. Every choice that we make now, every day sends a rippling effect. So what kind of ripple are we going to make? And whenever I'm feeling that yearning of like, you know, when you have that like just little bit of anxiety within yourself or a little bit of loneliness or something, and I like sit with it and I'm like, what is this? And I'm like, I want to feel God, you know, I want, I want to feel my fullness but then what we do is then we fill ourselves up with social media, with food, with even trying to feel good, like all of these, mm. you know, especially the feminine tries to fill ourselves. The masculine tries to re- release itself, you know, have an orgasm, go off, close your door, you know, and it's like, but all we want is to feel God. We want to feel the divine. And it's like, just so just go straight to it because you can fill yourself up with the brownies or the person or the whatever. And it's like that emptiness will still be there. Yeah. We're never alone. You know, my, my dad would always tell me that, you know, you're never, cause my mom, you know, being on the other side, you're never alone. You have so many relations on the other side that are right there with you. You know, I think about that. And also to in terms of like filling ourselves up, what actually nourishes us is water. Water is life, you know. We are we survive with because of water. We're mostly made of water, and you know it said that the ancient Egyptians really revered water. You know they they prayed at the Nile consistently, and they believed that every prayer and offering they made to the Nile, the lifeblood, the, the holy waters of Kemet, would would move into the different tributaries and make offerings to all the rest of the bodies of the water around the earth. We're made of water. The water never leaves. The water changes form. And we're made of 70% water. Some say that the wisdom of the ages is in the water. The wisdom of the holies, the wisdom of creation is in the water. So even merely, purely just sitting and taking the time to tune in with the water, that in and of itself is communion with God. You know, or when we shower or when we bathe, whatever it is. It's just taking time to attune to the consciousness of communion. I love this quote by Wayne Dyer. When you change the way you look at things, the thing you, things you look at change. Whatever we direct our perspective towards is what we actually are imbuing in our consciousness that makes and creates. We're always creating. Everybody. We're never not creating because we're always moving forward on planet Earth, moving through the sky with all these celestial bodies moving forward. Even when we're sitting, we're creating. And and part of the greatest, I would say, challenge or, or, or challenges that we face in our shadow is our mind. Wow, power of the mind. 
the, Kem- the Kemetics, the ancient Egyptians, were very much about a ritual way of life to focus the heart, the mind, the body, and the spirit in, on- in alignment to make an offering. Ritual helps to just focus our mind in alignment with the heart, the body, and the spirit to be really clear about how we're directing our energy, what we're doing with our energy, what kind of offerings we're making. You know, we know this, like we said that one thing that we knew the moment it came out of our mouth, we kind of regretted that we said it, you know, because you feel the creation when you say something that's going to hurt someone come out of your mouth, you feel it creating and then you like watch it manifest before you. And usually there's more healing where it takes longer to clean up the mess that clean up the mess than the time it took to start it with the power of the word. You know, ancient Egyptians were very much about the power of the word. They referenced that the the tongue and the mouth was the 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 pata, the divine utterance of creation comes out of the mouth. This is a very powerful creative force, the mouth. That the life force energy that moved through us, like you said, the kundalini is the serpent energy. They say we had two serpents. We have a water serpent and we have a fire serpent. Like the caduceus, the symbol of the the medical symbol in the hospital. You you see this, there's a staff in the middle and there's two serpents that rise up like the shishumana, shishuna, and the Eden, the pingala. In Kemetic, you know, it's the jed, your central pillar is your jed. You have these two serpents, the fire serpent and the water serpent that rise up the body and the spine. And the serpent heads face here towards the mind, this region. And so how we work with our energy and how we direct that energy and work with the mind too. And connecting like through our, our throat, the power of our word, our mind and our heart. This is the place that connects the mind and the heart, it's the throat. How we learn how to commune and, and, and share and be uh, deepen and become more aware of what we imagine that becomes our thoughts that becomes the first step of, of creation that becomes our words, our deeds, our habits, our behaviors, and then the, our destinies. And then how we do that collectively, because that's what's going to make and call forward the destinies of the future. They're very detailed about that. And it wasn't just for humans. They had this really sophisticated, elegant approach to creation that was very much about co-shaping us as humans, through a ritual way of life, learning how to co-shape consciously and coherently with the beings of the natural world, the four-leggeds, the two-leggeds, the swimming ones, all the holy living life force energy embedded in everything of the natural world, and the netaru, the divine principles, the cosmic energy. Kind of like right now, everyone's really into astrology, and we're learning how to tune to celestial bodies and you know, our signs and things like that. Understanding what's going on in the cosmos. Co-shaping consciously with what's happening in the cosmos in relation to the holy living energy of of this earth and its varying diverse forms as humans. And our job was to maintain those relationships. So we weren't just creating for ourselves or even just for humans. We're co-shaping all together on behalf of creating a unified communion, unified field of energy. And I feel like we're starting to do that now as a culture. Like the fact that we can talk about astrology as a normal thing in and of itself is incredible. And then what's happening with the climate, the climate is talking. The mother earth is talking. She's saying a lot of things to the point where we can't not listen and pay attention. 
you know, and so many of the old indigenous traditions and ways in ancient Egypt that part of the job was to be able to listen and to train the heart, the mind, the body, and the spirit to listen to the intelligence of the natural world and listen to the intelligence of the cosmos so that we can all work together consciously and coherently. That's one of the things I really love about it. You know, it's not just about humans, you know, there's a, a divine trinity similar to the, like in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, who's the Holy Spirit? The mom, you know, <laughs> name of the father, the son, and the mother. So much about Trinity relationships, co-shaping, co-creating together. When, when two come together, a third is born. Even in conversation, however, we're bouncing things back and forth. Something is born from it, something unique. We're always co-shaping together. So how are we, who are we co-shaping with and what are we co-shaping together? And I think a really important lesson of Aset is alchemy and transmutation. So can you speak about the stages of alchemy? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, first and foremost, I want to acknowledge the, the term alchemy itself, you know, alchem, chem, chemet, chem refers to the black fertile soil of Kemet, which is the original name for Egypt. So alchemy really comes from, from, from Kemet, from Egypt. There, one of the, there are these stages, one version of alchemy um, that we go through. We're the prime material and calcination. We're the prime material. And one of the, the next stages is then we're, um, we go through this process with water, you know, just distillation. And then kind of like the cleansing process, we purify ourselves with the water. By the way, if you don't do this with the shower and the, and, and the, or the bath, you can ask the water to help you cleanse your heart, mind, body, and spirit every time you shower and take a bath. And the water will help you with that. So calcination, the alchemical stages, the first stage, we're the prime material. You go through this purification process with water, distill, distillation. And then from that process, everything is separated. And you start to determine what you want to let go of and what you want to work with more. Kind of like when we're going through the process of transformation, part of transformation is knowing what we want to let go of so that there's more space to bring in what we want to bring in. I like to think of it as deprogramming. Most of us are born with, we come into this life with a lot of programs, most of which we don't necessarily, our spirit doesn't really agree with. And a lot of our work is to deprogram the programs that have been set upon us. So this would be the process of separation. I'm done with that. I'm going to let that move forward, but then I'm going to bring together all the things that I want to, that feel good for my next stage of evolution. And then that's the conjunction, the marriage. You bring it all together, all the things you want to carry forward. And then from that process, you then let everything ferment, similar to what you did in Egypt. You know, you went on this journey of transformation when their powerful process of transmutation probably looked at all of your, faced your fears you were the prime material, the calcination, the prime material that kind of went through purification by realizing what was happening in the marriage and then had to go on this trip to Egypt, went through the process of separation of all the things that weren't helpful for you anymore and to bring together the things that were, bring them all those things together. Then you had to sit with it, let it ferment. It's really important to sit with things if we, because so that we can actually really allow the teachings of the process to emerge and reveal themselves. Oftentimes in the ancient comedic traditions, when we sit and allow ourselves to ferment, that's when the messages from the great mystery come. You know, it's like, that's our home place in the fermentation process, the death process. 
then when we allow ourselves to like die, you know, fully surrender, not try to hold on to anything anymore, you know, then it's a good time to immerse thyself in water again, go through another process of, of, of purification with the water. And this is one of the stages. And then from there, it's like after the death, purify thyself, maybe a baptism. And then coagulation is your fully expressed next octave. These are some of the seven steps. Usually it's connected. I like to think of it as the shedding of the skin. You know, sometimes they say it's seven years. Shedding of a skin. We get to one octave and then we start another one. You know, like we do one full shedding, one full process of transformation, and then we begin the next one. And we go through the same process again. In the ancient Egyptian tradition, the reason why we were born here is to do this work, the great alchemical work of transformation. That is why we're here. One lineage tradition and I don't know if I necessarily agree with this or how I feel about it, but one lineage tradition talks about this actually being the underworld here, you know, and the afterlife is heaven. You know, we, we come here to do this work and on behalf of even lifetimes of work before, we have the opportunity in the current life that we're in right now to clean up and clear up any karmic dynamics, anything from the past. Part of a, the power of a purification, right, is with water is you can clean up a thought process you had five minutes ago and maybe even a dynamic that happened 10,000 years ago. In Egyptian tradition, you purified all the time on behalf of the work of transformation. Because when we go through a process of transformation and we all go through them, we then so much wisdom comes forward and then we can be of assistance to others. You know, and part of the process of transformation is the commitment to do it. If we don't, and, and, and often too, when it's happening, there's nowhere to go because it's all happening anyway. So you might as well just like go with it. The only way out is through. This is how they see it. And the only way through is in. There's nowhere else to go. And that's something that I also really value. They really talk a lot about in the great alchemical work is as within, so without. That which is above is that which is below. And when the two become one, then we enter the kingdom. Everything that we experience on the inside immediately reflects how we experience the outside. It's just wild. That which is, when they're referencing that which is above is that which is below is really connecting the heavenly realms and this natural realm. We're like the conduits. We're the axis mundi, the connection between the heaven and the earth. I like to think of this as trees. And trees are like that. You know, trees are like like our body and they have their arms out, their, their branches like us, like our arms. We're the connection point, the axis mundi between the heavenly realms and the earthly realm here in this place. And in this place, the more, the, the way that they believed it and the way that I believe it, the commitment to do the transformational work and to bring in more light from an infinite place. They referenced that the light of Ra, the light of the sun, the light of the moon, the light of Luna, the light of the stars is where the infinite light comes from. They did this infinite, intricate rituals to revere the light, not light as opposed to darkness, because there's luminous darkness. I mean, in the dark at night is the light of the moon. In the dark at night is the light of the stars. 
you know, to bring in that infinite light from an infinite place to assist and, and, and bring in infinite teachings in this plane of existence to exist in this time of transformation for all of us. And we are here now. Humanity is experiencing one of the greatest times of transition we know in our origin stories. This is big. This is a big moment. And it's really interesting and fascinating and I think really helpful that the ancient teachings of Kemet of Egypt and all, a lot of indigenous teachings and original teachings are, are spreading and being shared in the world to help us. Because really the only thing that I can see that has lasted through the ages are the ancient teachings and the mystery teachings, you know. And we're learning how to learn again. We're learning how to listen and pay attention and, and, and attune to the intelligence of the natural world, the intelligence of the cosmos, and thus the intelligence within, where we can move based on what we feel on the inside. I love the honoring of the cycles and the seasons, because in our personal development world, we can often think it's this like linear, like, okay, pay your dues now, and then everything will be great and easy and flowy indefinitely. And it's not how the world works. You know, you cannot have the light, the daytime, the sun without the darkness, the dark night of the soul. Absolutely. And that is where the stars are born. Mm -hmm. That is the only way you can see. And I love how the honoring is, is 50 50 to both, you know, and going into the temple of, of Newt and seeing that beautiful night sky and all of the constellations around that. It's just like, and life goes on. And, you know, you can take that as this like really like scary thing of like, shit, I just went through a dark night of the soul. And like, I might have to go through something like this again. And it's like trusting that you will always get what you're ready for. If it's happening, you're ready for it. And if it's not happening, you're not ready for it. And that has been a huge teaching for me too, of like, I really want this thing. And it's like, if I was ready for it, it would be here. And like, I can't handle this thing that's happening. If you couldn't handle it, it wouldn't be happening. And it's like, you will always be exactly where you need to be in that cycle. And by the way, there are simultaneous cycles in different areas of your life happening at the same time too, that you might be in like one, you know, seven year cycle of your relationship and like the cosmological cycle of something else and like this. And it's like everything ebbs and flows and nothing changes. And like, ultimately it's all a mystery. And it's so interesting because the past few years, I've just really been saying the mantra of, I don't know. That has been my mantra of like, I don't know. And I think we have a hard time. I think that's why a lot of us go to spirituality is because we like deeply want to know. Mm -hmm. We're like, let me make it make sense. Mm -hmm. The pattern app says this is going to happen. So that's what's going to happen. And like, according to the healing I've done, it should go like this. And it's like, ultimately, it is a mystery. And we can take these tools and we can take these lessons and use them as guidance and we just have to surrender that life is going to life. And there is so much at play that is beyond our scope. And if we look back on our lives, it all makes sense. But it's like trusting that right now, one day, will maybe it's in the afterlife. But nothing is random. Nothing is coincidental. Yeah. The thing that's going to happen to you next year, five years from now, the seeds of it are actually being planted right now. You just don't see them in this reality. You don't see the little thing that one day you're going to be like, how did I not see that? It's like, oh, it was right there. It was that little sneak you weren't paying attention to. So I love the teachings of this that I feel are, are eternal no matter what culture you're from, no matter what you're going through. 
So I want to segue into Heter and to Hathor and, and her stories and mysteries, if you can share. Lady of heaven, lady of many names, lady of 10,000 names. She has so many names. She has her secret names. She has her magical names. She has lots of different forms. Um, one of the things that I also love about the comedic beings, well, first, and related to getting to know them brings awe and wonder into life. And that can help. You know, when we're going through such a tough moment of the dark night of the soul, communing with these beings, these divine principles can call upon the awe and the wonder to engage in the experience of the dark night of the soul with new lens, new perspective. You know, I know for me, you know, one of the hardest times in my life when I felt like I had no one there for me, it opened a door where all I could connect to were these beings. They're the ones that came and helped me. Heteret is one of them. She's also related to the lineage of the Holy Mothers. So she has lots of different names in the Egyptian comedic tradition. Some of these Neteru have forms in different dimensions and serve different functions. So we hear Hathor, the bovine cow goddess. Usually you see on her crown, you see the horns, sometimes referencing Taurus with a sun disc. She's related to cows, sacred cows, or they would refer to them as bovines. Her Greek name is Hathor. Her One of her comedic names is Hetheru, when she's related to Heru Horus or Hetert. Lady of heaven, lady of 10,000 names. Her temple is Dendera. Dendera is gorgeous. It is so beautiful, especially the last few years, they've been doing a lot of restoration. So, so much of the color has been coming out. And in that temple... Uh, the, or that temple was known for uh, dream, a dream temple, sound healing temple. The the Hathors or the Heterts, the priestesses of Hetert or the priestesses of Hathor would were trained in the sound healing technologies and were trained in the ritual dances and the in the ritual instruments. Like you see the drums and you see the flute and you see their rattle called the sistrum carved in the temples and they would do all the ritual dances and songs to not only bring revere the cosmos but bring cosmic principles into form through geometric pattern they would also support the healing for those that would come through the sound technologies through the dance through the drumming through the trance they're dancers they're musicians and they were also really devoted to the healing of the dream time because there's, you know, the blue lotus is one of the flowers that was really revered in ancient Egypt. I'm a big fan of the blue lotus. And one of the things that that plant, that incredible flower medicine would, would, would support in is opening up these liminal states, these in-between states. So, you know, when you're right about to go to sleep, you know, there's that place, that, that feeling right before you're kind of awake and you're kind of asleep. It's called a liminal state. And part of the sound healing work and part of the, the, the dance and the songs were to assist in the healing that happened in those liminal states because you're, the access between the subconscious, the conscious, and the superconscious is more available there. So you do all these, the, the, and bring forth the healing energy of Heteret Hathor in her frequency into form to assist in the healing. She's also a goddess of fertility. She's a goddess of love, of passion. Women would travel from all over the world to come 
to his particular few places in the temple to receive a blessing from her to get pregnant. A dear friend of mine, that happened for her. We went to Egypt in 2012, and she went to that spot, and she got pregnant in Kemet. Heter Tathor is also a divine uh, goddess, deity, Natiru, that is related to this particular cosmic environment. So the Milky Way, as an example. Some believe that her as the cow or the sacred bovines and the cows were created the the space for our solar system to exist in. And that the Milky Way was the nourishment from Hathor Hetert that fed our entire solar system. And so we, when we would gaze upon the Milky Way, we're gazing upon and attuning to the transmissions of Hetert and Hathor. I think about, about it too in relationship to being a mother. When I'm breastfeeding, I think of being the Milky Way for my son. And I see that milk, I think of that milk being Hathor, the blessings of her coming through to him. She was also the roots of um, divine sacred union ceremonies. Um, the, the original sacred union ceremony, they would make offerings to Heteret Hathor to bestow love and fertility upon the couple. So she would bring forward the blessings of love and fertility for the family and the entire community. I could go on and on and on about her. There's a little bit about her. Can you speak about how she worked with sound and music? They, they were the grand musicians. They were, you know, and it was, it, was a, it was a collection of them. It's the only place that I've noticed so far in Kemba and Egypt where you actually see instruments, the lyre, the drum, the flute, the sistrum, and the songs and the chants. Sometimes they're called the chantresses where they would use the, the power of vibration and tone and mantras. And they didn't call them mantras back then, but very much like mantras, to bring the sound healing vibrations to help with the body, the heart, the mind, and the spirit. People would go there for healing. Yes, the original sound baths were there. Yep. And that's what I love about the sistrum, which is this beautiful sacred instrument, like mm-hmm. kind of like rattle. It's like a rattle. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. a copper rattle with with her depiction on it. And whenever I shake it, it like clears. It's almost like a sage. It like clears the energy. And if you can just share a little bit, this is like, I know it's a very big topic, but how sound may have been used in carving the pyramids. Oh, yeah. Well, vibration, rhythm, and tone. And also, you know, it's sort of when we, you know, when we experience a sound bath where we feel lifted and elevated. I feel that. Do you feel that with a sound, oh, yeah. sound bath? When I'm in a sound bath and the sound and the tones and the transmissions are like clear like that, I feel lifted and elevated. That's the way that it was described to me. The attunement to also the transmissions of the language that were utilized f- to bring forward the sounds and the vibrations and the tones to shift the dynamic of gravity. The reason why I, I consider myself really a, a student of, of Heter, like especially right now, is I had this realization that, you know, I, I write books. I'm an author. I mean, my last name, Kitabi, means person who writes books. But I was realizing like the limitation of the written word and how 
vibration and sound. It's like you can listen to a song. The song might not even have words in it, but you feel like the yeah. chords make you feel a certain way, whether it's nostalgic or elevated or heartbreak or possibility or anything. And I saw this vision of my future self and she was like in her seventies and she lived in this like pagoda in Costa Rica. She had all this family around her. And she told me that my books will be albums and that these albums are going to carry the frequency of the message and that I will be using words as like more but poetry to support the frequency that like if so instead of a book on sensuality of like steps one to three to be more sensual and like do these 10 things it's like listen to this album and you will receive the codes and the textures that will evoke the sensuality or the purpose or whatever the topic is within you and then this summer I told you the codes of music really came on I started producing music and coming up with melodies and like like bass lines and like all of these things that were like within me, you know, but I had this belief that, oh, I don't know how to engineer music. Like I can't. And it was like, oh, I can, you know, and, and also with dance being the physical expression of music and letting the music move through you so you can show and embody and give form to the music. Like that's what dance is. So her frequency has really been coming forth through me and, to me has been my ultimate form of transmutation. Cause it's like, wh- who do I become after the period of transmutation? It's like, I become art and that's what she represents to me. And an offering. I love to, in the, you know, priestesses of Heterat and Hathor, so much is about bringing the transmissions of the cosmos through form and through embodiment. And then also being the, the conduit for the transmissions to come to others through the sound and through the movements and the gestures. The old tradition of Hekka um, was the term for magic. And in Hekka, magic was also the sound, the vibration, the ritual gestures, the intention, the presence, the offering, and the tools. Ritual in, in the, the, their tradition was very much about music. Music was crucial and movement. Becoming the, you know, we are the Axis Mundi, the, the connection point of the, the, the consciousness of the heavenly realms in the trust realm, the divine moves through us. And then how did learning how to do that as a group together and be the transmissions together to bring forward the codes? I love her too. She's just. And that's why it's so powerful when women get together and dance. It's like, a remembrance of, oh, this is the way we prayed for thousands of years of just coming together and letting our bodies be this expression of the divine and, you know, recoding the ways that we have been taught to pray. Like we've been taught like, oh, you have to sit, put your head down and clasp and, you know, ask for forgiveness. And it's like, oh no, you can dance and you can be under the stars Mm -hmm. and and using these beautiful herbs like the blue lotus and, you know, mirror and rose and all these beautiful plants that are here to support us. It's such a more experiential relationship to the divine that I feel is missing. And the reason why so many people feel disconnected from God, you know, so many people, more people than ever just call themselves an atheist. And it makes sense because it's like, oh, if connecting to even the word God is so polarized, it's like, oh, connecting to God means like that, like through the church and this yeah. is the way, like, I don't want to mm-hmm. do that. And it's like, oh, what if communion was the union within yourself, yeah. within the people you loved mm-hmm. with, with the elements? Mm-hmm. 
And, and that's what the ancient Kemets knew. And I remember being in one of the temples and I would just, when I would close my eyes, I would like see the drapes that were once there and the fruits that were once there mm-hmm. and the way that the temple was so alive. And I was actually going with fruit to all of the temples and I was, you know, trying to feed the Netaru because I could feel how starving they were. Like it was so dry and parched. So I would like, cause you're not allowed to leave fruits there. So I would like try to like sneak it into like little corners, like this little orange and like do my prayer. And like, and I would like come back and sometimes they'd be taken away and sometimes they wouldn't. And I'm like, that's why like in Bali, you feel spirit so strongly because the spirits are being fed daily. You know, they're being fed, they're being prayed to, they're given offerings. And I feel the Neturu in Kemet, they are so strong and they're so active despite having been starved for a very long time now. And now so many of us are are being called back to feed and bring bring the spirit back. I remember this one uh, moment at the Temple of Philae after our, our ritual, our prayer. We were in this region, the Temple Hall, and I started dancing. And I remember as I was dancing, I just started weeping. And then all of my sisters, our priestess friends, I was by myself. They started coming from all the corners and we all started weeping and crying and grieving. The grief of not being able to dance in the temples anymore. And then the grief of the the forgetting and moving all of that energy, and then the revival of being able to dance again. It's happening. We, it's are, happening. We're pl- we are planting the seeds, and so many people all around me are being called to come. And they, you, I feel this love transmission is happening. Mm-hmm. Like I was really operating at the level of, of truth, of justice. And then I went to Kemet, and it was like, oh, truth is just asking for love. And we cannot know truth if we don't receive it with love first. Mm-hmm. And it just it just shifted everything. And I'm like, trust that Mott has it. You just show up as love. So it's an exciting time. I can't wait to, we have to go back. I, I hope to continue to do pilgrimage there every year. So where can listeners connect with you, learn from you and dive in deeper into these mysteries? Mm. Well, thank you so much for having me here. I just want to say that. And um, Academy of Oracle Arts is our school. AcademyVoracleArts.com, an imaginal community. That's our virtual temple. And then Egypt Initiation is our yearly pilgrimages. One of the things that we are devoted to doing there is making offerings. Similar to what you said is to bring food. Usually we bring the offering right at the temple steps before we enter. And then through our offerings is just our time, our presence, and our attention. So for those that feel called uh, to Kemet, to Egypt, if it's calling you forward, there's probably a good reason. Those temples were designed to wake up parts of ourselves that might be dormant. So take the journey, you know, follow with that pilgrimage. And in that way, may everything that was shared here somehow in some way be useful for everybody. And may this be a doorway into diving deeper into the mystery teachings because there's so much awe and wonder embedded inside of it. One thing that my dad said to me once, he said, if I could share anything with you that I've learned in my life, it would be to always maintain maintain a state of awe and wonder because then the world will keep opening up for you. 
Beautifully said. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for listening. If you love this episode, please share it with your friends. It might evoke some remembrance within them. And if you loved it, please leave a review for it in the iTunes store. And as a free gift, I will send you my womb meditation. This is meditation to connect to your sacred womb site, which is a, a sacred site within you that you can always attune to and receive her answers. So just leave a review for the podcast, take a screenshot and email it over to me at Sahar at IamSaharRose.com. You can find that email and all of the links mentioned in today's episode in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you in the next one. <music>